Jeremy Roach is coming back to Duke. Is John Shire going to have a national championship caliber team on his hands in just his second season? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's up? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host today, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for joining us, especially you everydayers who are diving in with us every day. We're kind of switching out of transfer portal mode, kind of into NBA draft combine mode. Who's coming back to school? We got a big one we're talking about right out of the gate today. Obviously, there will be more transfer portal content as we learn in our second segment today of uh, somebody going to St. John's. Holy cow, Rick Pitino keeps it going. But anyway, that's where things are at right now. Best laid plans, huh? Because if you were with us on yesterday's show, you know that the plan for today was that yesterday, Andy Patton and I had talked about the winners of the transfer portal and that today I was going to talk about the losers of the transfer portal. Well, we're just going to have to table that one, put it on hold for a little bit, and Andy and I or one of us will circle back around. Because we got to talk Zuby Ejiofor, we got to talk Jeremy Roach, and we got a guy staying home and spurning some of the bluest of the blue bloods, and I'm here for that language. So let's start, though, in Durham, North Carolina, where Jeremy Roach is indeed returning for his senior season. And of course, he is that last class of players who also has COVID eligibility if he so chooses to use it. So we actually could have two more years of eligibility. And again, this is the last class, the rising senior class who's it's their fourth year is the last class with COVID eligibility. Now, here's the thing. To me, this is actually not surprising. This was Always the right decision for Jeremy Roach, the sensible, the logical decision for Jeremy Roach, and one that I assumed he would make. But here's the thing. He's got to be the one to make the decision, and until he or anyone else makes their decision, you just cannot assume. So now we know, and we know. (laughs) So what does this mean for Duke? We're going to get to my question here in just a second about, is John Shire going to have a national championship caliber team next season? We'll look at it. But here's what you need to know. The Duke Blue Devils, with Roach's pulling with Roach pulling out of the NBA draft, now have four of their five starters back from last year with Derek Lively being the lone player staying in the draft that started. Now, uh, there were times when, like, Derek Whitehead started the game against Tennessee that Duke lost, but that was because Mark Mitchell was out. So, Um, Duke is going to have their other four starters back from last season. Their starting backcourt of Jeremy Roach and Tyrese Proctor. They're going to have Mark Mitchell at the three and Kyle Filipowski at the four. The question, and this is going to be a big question that we're going to have to take a look at, is who slots in to play that five position that Derek Lively held down last year? Or does Kyle Filipowski slide over and do that? He certainly got the size and somebody else comes in at the three or the four, depending on what they don't want to do with Mark Mitchell as well. Now, here's the thing. It's easy to think, oh, yeah, Jeremy Roach is coming back. Duke's got their point guard. Uh-uh. You might recall, or maybe you don't, and I'm about to tell you, that midseason last year, John Shire made what I think was a very smart switch, put Jeremy Roach over at the two at the shooting guard and let Tyrese Proctor 
the just stud freshman. I mean, this dude is a problem. Let him run the show, have the ball in his hands. And that was when Duke took off to me. And Duke, I, I was blazing through things until Tennessee cut him down there in the second round of the NCAA tournament. I'm, I'm still shocked that that happened. Olivier Kamwa just went absolutely off in that game. So keep your eyes on Proctor because I, I think Duke's going to be really good. <laughs> Now, per Brendan Marks, who covers both Duke and Carolina for The Athletic, with Roach's return, that is now 12 of Duke's 13 scholarships accounted for. And I also confirmed that with our Locked on Blue Devils host, J.J. Jackson, to make sure like, hey, am am I seeing that right? And yes, it is. So let me give it Duke's current 12 scholarship players to you broken down by position as Marks presented them on Twitter at guards. They've obviously got Tyrese Proctor, Jeremy Roach, who we talked about Proctor, just a sophomore Roach, a senior Uh, two incoming freshmen, Jared McCain combo guard and Caleb Foster. These dudes are great. What else do you expect for Duke to bring in? And then Jalen Blakes, excuse me, coming back for his junior year at the wing. Obviously, we already said Mark Mitchell coming back for his sophomore season. They also bring in TJ Power, who was a highly sought after um, member of the class of 23. And Jaden Shutt coming back for his sophomore year. And then in the front court, the bigs, you've got Flip. We've already talked about him. But Ryan Young coming back using his COVID year. Like, don't overlook what Young can do. He is... Uh, a guy that can come in, provide some great offensive rebounding and some other things. He's not going to be flashy. He's not going to be the dude that Duke relies on game in and game out, but his leadership and what he can bring because of that is a big deal for the Blue Devils. And so if if need be, you you at least consider putting him in the starting lineup. I don't think he has the talent to match up with others, but because of what he brings in experience, worth the thought and then also sean stewart another stud freshman coming in power forward and then christian reeves is also returning for his sophomore year now my i have two hesitations before we put duke where i think they're going to be here are my two real hesitations with this team at this point as we talk about it on tuesday may 16th number one who does what Derek Lively did. Duke Duke has to have somebody to be that rim protector, to be that dominant defensive presence that scared people off all the time, whether he was blocking their shots or not. Now, to that point, literally today on Tuesday, Ernest Uday, who is one of the Kansas bigs that transferred out along with Hunter Dickinson coming in, Um, And and we're going to talk about another one here in just a second, but he is visiting Durham today. Ernest Uday is now he is a guy that is more potential at this point than truly fully proven capability, but would be a big get for that front court to really solidify things. So that's my first question. Who, who is that, that guy? Because without Lively's presence on the court last year, Duke was not all that intimidating to me as, as a watcher of college basketball. They were talented and, and could do a lot of things, but the dynamic changed when he was locked in and healthy. And so they need that. Second question and, and second reason for pause a little bit for me, and, and this is going to, you'll understand what I'm saying. How does a young coach in John Shire go about divvying up 
all the minutes necessary for all of these overwhelmingly talented young men while trying to keep the locker room intact and not getting people's feelings hurt and all those kind of things, because the talent is absolutely there, but it has to be managed well. And yes, John Shire is somebody I think is going to be a great basketball coach, but is he ready for that in year two? We'll find out. I'm not saying he is or he isn't, but that's one of the things that I am curious to see. Keep in mind, they've already lost at least one person. Well, not at least. They've lost one person because of this influx of talent, and that's Mackenzie Mbaco, who is one of the most highly talented players in the class of 2023, and is now an Indiana Hoosier. And that's even before the season has begun. You see my point? Like, is there going to be any attrition, whether people actually leaving or locker room grumbling? John Shire has to be able to find a way to maintain this locker room. But bottom line, there's reason for excitement, a lot of excitement in Durham, North Carolina this season, but it is not without its potential pitfalls. And we're going to have to watch both of those things. So the questions at the end of this are two. Does Does Duke jump? That is a tough phrase to say. Does Duke jump? Does Duke jump? to the top of the ACC because of Roach returning. Well, I already thought they were, if they weren't at the top of the ACC, they were very close to it already. With Roach's return and you get back 80% of what was already operating as one of the top couple teams in the ACC last year, along with Miami at various times, Virginia, kind of ish at times, but really um, down the stretch, it was Duke and it was a no brainer for me. But then the other question, how high does Duke jump nationally? I'm not ready to put them number one overall. And you can push back on that, and I would not quibble or argue with you. Very reasonable people, I think, could look at what Duke's getting back and say, yeah, that's the number one team preseason in the nation. I'm not ready to go there yet. I'm not saying saying they're not, but I'm not ready to fully commit to that. When I look at what... Marquette is bringing back, which especially if Omax Prosper pulls out of the NBA draft, looking at at Kansas, looking at still, we're waiting to find out what all UConn will bring back or not bring back. That That's going to be a major factor. So there's just a lot of like, what about Purdue? Does Zach Eady pull out of the draft? I, I want to wait for the dust to settle a little bit. But if, if you want to hold me down right now, yeah, I'll say Duke's top five squad preseason right now. Absolutely. And that's where I would land. On it. So, Final Four is an absolute realistic expectation for this team. No reason to think that they're not part of the early conversation about teams that could be cutting down the nets on the um, on Monday night, the first Monday night in April of 2024. So, yeah, Duke is absolutely part of that conversation. Coming up next, we just talked about Ernest Uday, one Kansas transfer big. Now we need to talk about another in. Mr. Zubi for who has committed to St. John's. Rick Pitino is absolutely rolling. We'll do that in just a second. But first, this episode is brought to you by Built. Are you looking for a delicious snack, but you don't want all the sugar and calories? Then you need the best tasting protein bar out there, Built. You're like me, perhaps, and you want to try some healthier snack choices, but you don't want to compromise on taste? I got just the thing for you. Built Bars and Built Puffs which are healthy and taste great. Why so? Well, 
they're covered in 100% real dark chocolate. Not to mention that these built products come in amazing flavors like churro or peanut butter brownie or cookies and cream for crying out loud. Not to mention that along with all this, while tasting good, they maintain wonderful macros. Just 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and yet 17 grams of protein. You love those numbers. Also, now you don't have to wait for an order to come from Built.com. You can just go down to your local Walmart or Sam's Club, get yourself a box, and you're ready to go right stinking now. Go get some Built a proud sponsor of the Locked On Network. Okay, you guys, it feels like we're just talking about St. John's all the time right now. We just talked about them on Friday when they got Jordan Dingle, the reigning second leading scorer in all of Division I. And now, on Monday, Rick Pitino strikes again, landing Zuby Ejiofor from Kansas. This young man is not somebody that did a ton last year at Kansas, but showed some potential, showed some upside, just didn't need to do a ton for Kansas last year, other than when there were some injuries to deal with. But coming off his freshman year, he's got three years of eligibility, 6'9", 240 forward. you love that. He's from Garland, Texas. He came in last year as a freshman, 47th at 247 Sports, a four-star recruit. And we look at St. John's and it's like, Holy cow, Rick Pitino, everyone's gone. But now you look at it and you say, holy cow, Rick Pitino, everyone's coming. Because for me, the transfer portal was made for coaches like Rick Pitino, who have made a living, a history on turning turning things around immediately. And that's what he's done again here at St. John's. Now, he's turned it around on paper. How's it going to work out on the court in a loaded Big East? That's a different question that we're going to have to look at. But the the transfer portal allows for this. It invites it and lets Rick Pitino get into his sweet spot. So he's brought in eight transfers so far. That's or not so far. I mean, I get, they're maxed out now on scholarships, but that's over clearly over half the roster, which is 13. And you've got a lot of pieces you want. You've got leadership with someone like Joel Soriano who's coming back, with Naheem Aline who is coming off a national championship. You've got scoring. Again, we talked about Dingle, was the second leading scorer in the nation last year. You've got Soriano, who was both your leading scorer and rebounder last year for St. John's, averaging a double-double. It's nice to have at least some continuity from last year, especially if it's your leading scorer and especially if he's bought in to what Rick Pitino is trying to do. Not to mention... You've also got Iona's second and fourth leading scorers coming over along with a couple others from Iona for Coach Patino who get him, who get what he's trying to do. There, there's just a lot to me that says, yeah, this is going to work and it's going to fit together. And for me, there's literally no reason to think that St. John's can't be competitive right now. I'm not saying they're going to win the Big East. I'm not saying they're going to make it to the final four. I'm just saying they're going to be competitive. And I don't think you can push back on that because they, they don't have the, the best players, but they've got some really strong players. And Rick Pitino is one of the greatest coaches in NCAA history. And he's going to figure out how to get it going. Because again, history tells us that a Rick Pitino team will make the NCAA tournament by at least his second year. 
Boston University, that was the longest it took at a stop. But it took till his fifth year to make it to the NCAA tournament. But since then, Providence made it to the NCAA tournament his second year. Kentucky made it the first year the Wildcats were eligible. They were ineligible his first two years. Louisville made it his second year. And then at Iona, made it the NCAA tournament his second year. So can St. John's make the tournament this year? Absolutely. But you look at the resume, and at the very least, they're going to be in in 2025, two years from now. That's a great turnaround for St. John's very quickly. Now, it's not the precipitous level of turnaround that Ed Cooley's going to have to try to do at Georgetown. Good luck to you, sir. But it is something that Rick Pitino can and I believe will do very quickly. But again, here's the deal with the Big East. It's going to be really tough. Once again, count on that. Last year, St. John's was 18 and 15 overall, 7 and 13 in the Big East. Why couldn't they get to 20 wins? I mean, that's just two more than last year. I absolutely believe they can do that. And why couldn't that 7 and 13 just be flipped to be 13 and 7? Maybe that's too big of a jump. Maybe you think 10 or 11 wins is the max for Rick Pitino. And I'd hear that. I'd hear that argument. In fact, I'd love to know how many wins do you uh, expect this St. John team to get in the Big East next season? But at 13 and seven, if they had done that this year, it would have tied UConn and Providence for fourth in the conference. That's great. So just flip your wins and losses from last year and you're in a great spot. But is St. John's going to win the Big East next year? I don't think so. I don't see that. There's just too much. Marquette's got too much coming back. Creighton's got too much coming back. We're still waiting to see UConn. Like all these different pieces. But I think they can compete definitely in the upper half. And I'm really curious to see how it goes. But 13 dudes now in for Rick Pitino. And of course, he's saying all the right stuff. Listen to what he tweeted out on Monday. Just an incredible job by our staff in recruiting 11 quality athletes with great potential. A culture is formed with selfless people that have a strong thirst for winning. So excited to work with these 13 talented men. Why wouldn't you want to get out and run with that, right? Like, I I know he's older, but this man is still going and you love it. So the question is, is what we see on paper, is what we hear from Coach Patino going to translate to the court? We get to find out in about half a year and I can't wait for it. Bring it on. November can't get back to us soon enough. Finally, coming up on today's show to close us out, A highly touted recruit in the class of 2024 has spurned the Blue Bloods and chosen his hometown team. And I love it. We're going to talk about it in just a second. All right. Deedon Thomas announced on Sunday that he was choosing not Gonzaga, not Arizona, not UCLA but his hometown UNLV running Rebels. This is awesome. Listen, this is not just some fringe recruit. It's like, all right, cool. Good job, UNLV. Way to go. My dude is, per 247 Sports, the number 22 player in the class of 24, the number three point guard, 6'1". He's from Henderson, uh, Nevada, excuse me, just right there um, as in the Las Vegas metro area. This is awesome. And listen, this dude had offers. I already said it. Arizona, Gonzaga, UCLA, high-level interest. 
in him. Houston, Florida, USC, Miami, like these, these schools that operate quite typically, at least recently, at or near the top of their respective conferences or the nation <laughs> in the case of Gonzaga and UCLA and Houston, Arizona falling just a bit short in the postseason recently, but in terms of regular season success, they've been right there. But Thomas says, no, nah, I'm good. I'm going to stay home and play for the running rebels. He's doing it. And I love it. He's going to play for Kevin Kruger, who just finished his second year after taking over for his dad, Lon, who retired, obviously by the time Thomas gets uh, to playing for the running rebels, it will then be Kruger's fourth year. But here's why I love this. Here's why I think it's awesome. I, I just think that it is great for our sport. I think it's great for college basketball. When guys say, yes, listen, I appreciate all the love from the elite schools, the ones that are always getting everyone of my caliber. And he is that caliber, folks. Hear me say that. But I'm going to stay home and choose something other than the usual. I wish more guys did this. We, we love seeing the top schools be the top schools. But when you just get so much talent spread around the nation and, and to a you know, I, I don't know about you. I would put the Mountain West Conference probably in the second tier of college basketball, just right behind the Power Six. I don't, I, you know, I would need to sit down and, and tier that out and see who all I would put in that. And, and if indeed I would put them in the second tier, uh, obviously they elevated as a conference to a new level last year with San Diego State, making it as far as they did the, the highest that a Mountain West team has, or the farthest a Mountain West team has ever gone in the NCAA tournament. Um, and so that's great. But I, just on the surface, I love, I love a non-Power 6 school getting someone of this caliber, especially when it's a hometown thing. And it's like, man, I, I want to stay home. And I, I just think that's great. Now, another reason I think it's awesome is because he is not the first running rebel in his family. His dad also played for UNLV and oh by the way average six and a half assists a game so you know there's going to be an intense household rivalry there where uh, Mr. Didon is going to have to live up to his dad's standards here's another thing for UNLV besides what a huge get this is they've been fine they've had some top two top three finishes in the Mountain West but they have not won a Mountain West regular season championship since 2000. They've won one Mountain West regular season championship since, you know, since the turn of the century. You know they're looking to do better and to do more than that. Maybe Thomas can be the guy, the hometown kid, who can help bring another one to them. And, and as we see other Mountain West schools growing, and of course the... Who knows what even conference landscape is going to look like by the time he enters college in 2024. So th there is that, I guess, that we need to take into consideration. But here's the last thing I want you to consider when you think about why this is such an important thing for UNLV. Coaches do a great job recruiting, but the best recruiters are these young men themselves. And if you talk to recruiting analysts, they'll say, look at that guy. He's out there doing work for his team. Think about it. On the football field, that's your quarterback typically, right? If, if a quarterback commits early, he can go get a bunch of dudes that otherwise would not have come to his school. With Thomas being the third best point guard in his class 
and committing to UNLV before he's even, you know, like early on in the EYBL, like early on in the summer. Now he can just go play. And while he's there, say, hey, you know, we got something brewing at UNLV. You want to come join me? Right? Like, why not? Because when you commit early, getting a high-level floor general right now is so big for recruiting. And it's not just high school recruiting. When when he comes in 2024, Mr. Kruger can go around and say, hey, you know who we got coming to run the show, right? <laughs> and then guys are like, cool, let's do it. I'm in. I- I'm coming. I'll be a rub. Let's do it. That's that's the kind of thing that this means for a program like UNLV, especially in this era where guys are able to move and there's so much fluidity. So I am here for this. Now, a couple quick reminders before we get out of here tonight. Tuesday is the NBA draft lottery. So basically the uh, Victor Wembenyama sweepstakes. sweepstakes. Who's, who's going to get Wemby with the first overall pick? Because... I mean, there's no second guess on that one. This is one of those kind of years. After that, you know, there's maybe it's Scoot Henderson, maybe it's Brandon Miller, maybe it's the Thompson Twins. We'll see. But people are going to be salivating over that number one pick. The other thing is that the NBA draft combine started on Monday. You know, just a lot of kind of measurables and, and shooting and some other things. Haven't really gotten into five on five action or any of the really enticing stuff, but it is already going on. As a reminder, our guy Kyle Boone is there in Chicago for the combine and will be reporting back for us and can't wait to hear more on that that's it friends for today's show coming up tomorrow for you every day is our guy andy Patton will be back with you i'll join you again on friday for an interview with class of 2024 combo guard ty davis out of alabama who was gracious enough to sit down with me for an interview about everything he's got going on in his recruiting process really appreciate you tuning in for today's show if you would go give us a review on itunes Uh, five stars would be great just talk about why you love the show why you love tuning in if you're an everydayer let us know by going and giving a five-star review don't forget to subscribe smash the like button and comment on the show as always apologies to the lawyer family go wildcats and until tomorrow peace